Well, today, uh, I just want to carry on with our focus about keeping Christ in Christmas. The theme verse for this series is taken straight from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let me read it it's in, an, in its entirety. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, there are many things about this season that are just wondrous. You know, if you, you can't see it any clearer than in the face of a child who sees presents under the tree, and they, have, they, they, they glow and they get excited about seeing these things. As I drive with my own children through the neighborhoods and, and see lights on the house, they're so excited. You know, for a child in this season, there's no stress. There's just a, an eager anticipation about what is to come. The giving and, and the receiving of presents, uh, this, the memories and the smells and the music and all these things. I hope that you're capturing the heart of a child in this season and not uh, being sucked in by the chaos and the stress and how do we get everything done by the end of the year and all of these things. With so many things that happen in this season, let us not be tempted to be drawn away from keeping Christ in Christmas. It's all about him. If you were to come into my office, you'll, you'll see right in my, that middle little section, uh, a little, uh, I don't even know what you call it, just a little table there in the center, and I have my Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I bring that out every year, not for your benefit, but for mine, to remind me that this is simple. Don't make this more complex than it needs to be. Just keep Christ in Christmas and let everything else have its own place. Today, as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I, I focused last week just on the gift, since it tells us the Son is given, He is a gift in this. Today, I want us to focus on uh, the first uh, characteristic of this gift that we've been given, called Wonderful Counselor. Tom Schreiner is one of my favorite theologians, present-day theologians. Heard him years ago and, and have read many of his books and his, his theological writings. And he says this in his book called The King uh, in His Beauty. He says, one of the most famous prophecies of a divinic king is found in Isaiah chapter 9. The context of chapter 7 through 10 must not be neglected. Judah feared a takeover planned by Syria uh, and Israel. Yahweh promised that he would spare Jerusalem and that Assyria would conquer and later be conquered at the judgment of God. In the midst of these promises, the prophecy of a new king is given. In chapter 9, verse 2 through 5, there is a promise of a military victory over the enemies. And oh, how they needed that precious promise. But in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, there's a promise of a, of a future king who gives ultimate victory. And this promise is a son, a new king for the throne of David. He will reign as a governor and ruler over the land forever. He will bring peace, righteousness, and justice that will never cease. 
He is a remarkable king with attributes of a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Stephen Dempster in his book, uh, Dominion and Dynasty, that says these uh, epithets, these, these characteristics of this king seem to explode the expectations of this coming king. He is so much more than just a descendant of David. There are uh, theologians who will read through these passages and, and seek to deny that nine, uh, chapter 9 verse 6 is speaking about Jesus. They will say, oh, it's just about the next king uh, in the Davidic uh, line. But for those who deny this verse about Jesus, uh, are you connecting it to anything else that Isaiah has to say? You, you can read about the suffering servant that would die on the cross later in the book of Isaiah. But even just a few chapters before chapter 9, verse, uh, or chapter 7, verse 14, uh, gives a prophetic word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You can see clear indication that this king, in the midst of these other promises around the, 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 the present day battles they're dealing with, there is a promised king coming and his name is Emmanuel Jesus. These titles in chapter 9, verse 6, capture a savior unmatched by any previous king or any other king to follow in the, Israel, uh, in the Israel's line. And it will help us to understand the uniqueness of this promised king and the gracious and loving purposes that he has for us. Today, as we focus on Wonderful Counselor, I was reminded of a hymn that's in the hymn book right in front of you written by Charles Gabriel over a hundred years ago. It says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. As I consider the wonder of this Christ that's been given to us, the, the wonder, is he wonderful to you? Do we consider the, the, the Christ child being born in Bethlehem to, to, to grow up and, and, and live a perfect life, God in the flesh, living perfectly and then dying, is that wonderful to you? As we consider the, the, the lights on the tree and the, and the presents under the, the tree and, and, and all of the festivities and the hundreds of parties you're supposed to go to, are you losing the wonder of why we even celebrate this season? Is he wonderful? Is he a wonderful counselor? One that speaks into your life, that, that guides you and directs you. One that you pray to and say, oh, how I need you in my life. I need you to guide me. I need you to protect me. I, I need you to speak into my life because I, I don't have it all together. I need not just a counselor. I need a wonderful counselor. Powerful, wise, patient. God has done many wonderful things for us. In and through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that 
we would understand how wonderful he truly is and draw our attention back to him in the simplicity of just focusing on Jesus as the essential nature of, of, of what you desire and need. Other places, I see the same word wonder or wonderful in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, it says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. In Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all the wonderful deeds. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 29. And uh, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is, a one, uh, he is wonderful in counsel. And excellent in wisdom. God is unmatched by anything this world will provide. There's no gift greater that you'll be given than the gift of Christ, the wonderful counselor. Even the chief priests and the scribes uh, observed this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 15. The chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. They may not have appreciated what Christ was doing. They may have, uh, uh, have seen him as an enemy or someone to take attention away from them. But they did not deny that what he did was wonderful, majestic, awesome, separate from, from all other things. It was holy. In Psalm 119, I pray this often. Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, Open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your law. Sometimes we don't see the wonder because we're just doing the things we're used to. We go through life day in and day out and just uh, we, we stop seeing the things around us that are wonderful that God has provided. And we stop seeing the wonder of Christ. It was years ago, that many years ago, that... Uh, in my own relationship with the Lord, I, 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 I trusted in him, I believed in him, but, but I did have a, um, a perspective, I don't know if it was conscious or, or unconscious, but a perspective that, yes, Jesus died for me, Jesus loves me, and Jesus is somewhere over there, but I'm out here just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was in the presence of somebody who did not live that way. They lived in a way that Jesus was right here an intimate relationship. They walked with Jesus. Even Ephesians 4, 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And they're walking with the Spirit of God. And every moment, they would just talk to him. And they had joy. And when they came to, to difficulties or, or, or circumstances that, that challenged them, they would just say, oh, Lord, help me right now to have your wisdom to know what to say or what to do. And, and I'm over here going, what? I'm treating Jesus more like a historical figure that I believe in, but distant. And this, this guy, he just talks like he knows him and he's his best friend and they're like together today. I'm thinking, man, I need a relationship with Jesus like that. And that changed my life forever. And I've never turned back from saying, Jesus is not just somebody I read about in the Bible. Jesus is someone I talk to every single day. And I learn about him from the Bible. He is wonderful. 
Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things that Jesus is about. So today, on just the brief time we've got, I want, to, I want to give us three wonderful aspects of Christ that we may not miss. I don't want us to miss the wonder of the season and the wonder of the Christ that's been given to us. Three wonderful aspects. The first is this. Wonderful is His greatness that grants grace to us. God is great. Christ is great. When he steps in, it was, it's wonderful because his greatness set apart, unmatched by any. I want you to consider what he gives us in his greatness. See, greatness is seen in his incarnation. As I even mentioned in, in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, that, that the, the virgin will conceive a, a child. This child will be given to us. That was a miraculous event. This incarnation that God took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. His presence on this planet is wonderful. It is so far different than anything we could ever imagine. Why, first off, would, would God take on flesh and, and become incarnate? Take on the limitations of a physical body. Jesus did not have a body prior to coming as a baby on earth. He could manifest himself in the Old Testament, what was called Christophanies. I think I alluded to this a week or two ago. He could take on uh, 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 different manifestations to present himself. But it was at the birth of Jesus that he took on flesh and that flesh would be around him at all times. That flesh would walk and talk and eat and drink and fellowship and be crucified. You know, it's amazing to me that, that Jesus chose to take on flesh to be with us, to be present. There's something about the presence of people around you that is so different than the people at a distance. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip somewhere, whether in the United States or on foreign ground? Yeah. It's one thing to write a check today and say, we want to help international missionaries so they reach people. I think God blesses that and honors that as we pray and we give. That is such a good thing. And people receive good benefit. But there is something unique, something majestic, something special when someone shows up in, the, in their presence. You know, we, we had a partnership with uh, an African orphanage and uh, several churches in, in Kenya for years. Uh, my friend Joseph Wamatitu, who, who was called by the Lord while he was a Kenyan, uh, got saved and be, launched some churches and, and just has a, uh, just an incredible uh, gift of evangelism and, and church planting. And then because of the, uh, the, the massive uh, AIDS uh, that was going through and an uh, uneducated people, uh, their parents were dying and leaving these children. And so he, he felt called the Lord to start an orphanage. And, and, and I'd heard about about this for years, and I said, Joseph, uh, I want to help in any way, and we would raise money and send them to, to, to Kenya and all, and I would see the pictures of those children, but man, when the Lord op opened up an opportunity for us to actually get on a plane, fly to Kenya, and be with those people, that was so different. They had heard of our church, they had heard of, of Pastor Chris, but when we got to interact, it meant the world to them. I know that I'm married to my wife and I absolutely love her. But there's a difference when I'm across the country and when I'm in her presence on how that love is received. 
the touch, the look. And when Jesus had a, a plan for our salvation, he could have done it in any way he desired. It was God's ultimate plan, to, to whatever his will is. But God's ultimate will was to say, Jesus, you take on flesh and you go be with them. They need your presence, the incarnation. That is wonderful. It's not someone who's just thinking about you from a distance. It's someone who wants to get right up close and very present with you. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you ever wonder how wonderful that is? Why in the world would he come from, from the greatest heights of heaven down to the lowliest pit of the earth? It shows a, a dramatic love that's willing to get dirty on our behalf. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto us... Uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The Savior came. Greatness is seen as incarnation, but greatness is also seen in this communication. It's not just his presence, but his promises that I cling to. And in his promises, you know, there, it's just amazing some of the things he has said. There are a few people in, in former generations that have said things that have influenced people beyond their lifetime. Patrick Henry is the one who said, give me liberty or give me... And you've never met Patrick Henry, but his words live beyond his life. It was John F. Kennedy. Some of you remember this. You were alive during these days. Ask not what your country can do for you, but... His words live beyond his life. It was Martin Luther King who said, I have a dream. There are some times that people say things that live beyond their life. But you know what happens when Jesus speaks? It lasts for eternity. It was in the book of Hebrews that I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to when I think about this truth. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and, and 2, it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to, uh, to, uh, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Many he wanted to speak to the people and get through the prophets. And then he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. When Jesus speaks, we ought to listen. I mentioned this last week, the two audible times in the New Testament where God speaks aloud. At the baptism of Jesus, he says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased and that the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, uh, Jesus is, is glowing and, and transfigured in this glory. And the Father speaks again, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. There are some who would look at uh, verse uh, 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 1 and say, Okay, well, there was the season of, of the prophets. And then there was the time of Jesus. And now there's going to be a new wave, a, a third generation of speaking. They're looking for some new revelation. And, and all new uh, uh, cults and, 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 and religious movements are birthed out of that kind of thought. There's going to be something new. I do not find that true anywhere in the New Testament. The prophets prophesied about Jesus. When Jesus came, he spoke. And when the Spirit speaks, he doesn't speak anything new. He reminds us of what Jesus has already said. There's not a third Messiah coming. Jesus is the final, the only Savior that we can listen to. 
And so this is when I, I look at the 66 books that have been granted to us. And it tells us in John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I spoke, I've spoken to you while I am still with you, Jesus said. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Listen, if you're waiting for some other new revelation, you're going to be waiting for a long time, or you're going to be listening to something that is not of God. If you want to understand God the Father, if you want to be saved and have eternal life, listen to the Son. The incarnation, God took on flesh, and He is the one communicating to you the ultimate eternal truth that you must embrace. Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of our sins. And if we die without Jesus, we die eternally separated from a holy God in hell. If you understood the weight of that, you would understand why Jesus is so wonderful. And he's a wonderful counselor. He speaks truth. He does not lie. He'll speak truth about your sin, but it'll also speak truth about how he took that sin upon himself and gives you holiness if you'll trust him. Wonderful is his greatness. Wonderful also is his majesty that extends mercy to us. He is great and we are not, and he has to extend mercy to us. Wonderful is his majesty that extends mercy to us. And, and we considered just a moment ago the gifts that he gives to us. But I want you to also consider what he takes from us. Some of the greatest gifts that we can ever be given is not what comes towards us, but what comes away from us. We live in an age where people are always seeking miracles and new blessings constantly. We have a give me mentality, an entitlement. I need something special. And we even get angry and, and, and feel oppressed if someone else gets something that I do not. I want to receive. I'm always desiring to be on the reception of all blessings. Some of the greatest blessings from God are not what you get, but is what, what is taken away. Majesty is seen and, and, and a God who is perfect coming and taking away from us our sin and our sorrow. Back to the, uh, the hymn I referenced, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. It tells us this dramatic theological truth. He took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore the burden of Calvary and suffered and died alone. Jesus was sinless, and he took your sins and placed it upon his life. Sinless, taking on your sins. Sinful in giving you a sinless life. On your account, you would not be held accountable at the, at the transference of, 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 of the getting taken away the sins. I think for a moment, what, what is it that we desire from God? Oftentimes our blessings, Father... Give me this or, or provide this or do this. When's the last time you prayed that God would actually bless you by taking something away? God, would you take away my anger? Would you, would you intersect with my heart and take away my depression? 
would you take away my doubts or my addictions? God, would you, would you exterminate my procrastination that keeps me from doing the things I ought to be doing? God, would you take away my pride or take away the distractions? I wonder if this Christmas, the wonderful things that God will do for you is not the blessings you're getting, but the things that he's taking away from you that will free you up to truly live the abundant life he has promised. Majesty is seen in, in his taking away from us our sin and our sorrow. It's also seen in his taking us away from here and taking us to heaven one day. We get very comfortable here on this planet. But Jesus promised in, in John chapter 14 verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take to you uh, myself. And there where I am, you will also be. You know, we get really concerned and we get a lot of stress in this world by, uh, by the possessions that we have. You know, if you ever get an opportunity, you, you buy a house. Everybody's ex thrilled about buying a house. And then you realize nobody else is taking care of the maintenance of that house but you. Doesn't take very long to realize the, the, the blessings and the burdens of a house. It was Randy Kennedy told me the best days of having a boat are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Is that still true, Randy? <laughs> I mean, God's not concerned so much about what you presently own and all the upgrades you've done and all the things you have planned. He's not extending your life so you can spend more time at the beach or, or longer vacations. You may be blessed with that, but ultimately all that's going to go away. God's going to take all of that from you. And you're going to go, oh no, I don't want that to be true. His divine will for us is that he has eternity in mind. And what he is bringing to you is far better than what you currently possess. His timing is always perfect. I know sometimes it's a struggle when people pass from this world. But I'm telling you, they're, they're not coming back to complain about where they just went. They're not saying, oh, I wish I could just have another day in my house. I just wish I could have another week in that car. Oh, I just wish I could have another vacation at the beach when the storm came in and ruined our vacation plans. I'm just wishing I had another uh, weekend at Walt Disney World to stand in lines in the hot sun. Nobody is saying that. What he is providing is far better. So you, with the blessings that there are common, uh, general um, blessings to all people, no matter, regard, regardless of their relationship with Jesus, there are, there are, there's general grace for everybody. And then there are special times that he gives you a little bit more. But I'm telling you, the best of the best is nowhere near the blessings of heaven. You might be uh, glowing in your, in your mind sometimes when you're like, man, I just got a new job. I just got a new car. I just got a new house. I just got a new vacation home. I just got a new retirement position. Wow. And then when you get to heaven, you're going to go, wow, nothing else matches this. He takes away your sin and your sorrow, but he also takes away the clinging to the things that are temporal. You know, when I, one of my first cars was a 1988 and a half Ford Escort. One of the worst cars I think ever made. I don't know how much money we put into that thing. You know, you're trying to make it work and it just didn't always work. 
you know, and, and, and then years later, Jennifer and I get married, and she had a, a Chevy S10. Oh, that was a great, great little pickup truck, you know, but it only lasted so long. And, and then we started having kids, and so then, you know, you get to where we got to expand, and we had, you know, this um, Suburban, and then when, once you have nine kids, I mean, there's no car, but just a 15-passenger church van is all you get. And we got the, I mean, that, that's, the, and that's what we drive now. We got a gray, we used to have a red one and everybody called it the fire truck that would go down the street, but we have a gray 15 passenger van. You think, man, we've hit the top. How many of you would love a 15 passenger van as your family vehicle? Yeah, all two of you. All right, great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think, oh man, I got this. Well, it wasn't too long ago that Jennifer and I uh, had the privilege of being picked up here in the parking lot by a long stretch limousine. And man, we got in that thing. And I think that fits like 20 people in the back. It's just incredible. We, we got into that thing. We drove down and, and ate at Perky's restaurant. Have you ever been to Perky's? You know, it's a king's palace down there. <laughs> but we went down there and, and you, you just imagine what people were saying and, and looking, you know, when we got out of that thing. And, you know, the restaurant's pretty small. Everybody's looking at us like, what, are they kings and queens? What, what's going on? Why are they, you know, obviously I'm too old to be the guy at the prom, so it's not that. So then we get back and we, we come back and it was just amazing. We were in a limo, you know, and, and I started thinking, I think I even told Jennifer, why don't we just buy one of these and get rid of that van? It's an upgrade. The kids would love it. And I even suggested maybe we should sell our church vans and get a limo. The kids would love to go to mission trip in a limo. We just called the company car. That'd be great. Because there was something better. But let me just tell you, sometimes we try to cling on to what we think is better and we don't realize what is best. You know, you're clinging on to things. Man, we can't get any better than this. We cling on to this world and, and, and you get a cancer diagnosis and man, that is tough. And, and, and you get this other uh, diagnosis or you find that something's not going right. And you're thinking, oh, I've got to cling on to everything I have here. When you don't realize that just trust God in all of it because he has something so much better for you. You don't understand what a wonderful God we have. And even in the pains and the difficulties of this life, it is temporary. Because we have a wonderful counselor who is providing far better don't cling to the things that are going to slip out of your hands anyway. Cling to the Christ who is eternal and is just introducing to you some of the minor little blessings you have now. It's far better. The wonder of Christ is that he came down to the earth and he, when he came down here and he went back to heaven, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to bless you while you're here. But let me tell you, and, and, and I'd say, you know, don't even try to buy the book or if you've got one, just throw it away. Your best life is not now. It's not now. And if it is now, it's because you're going to hell. Let me just be very frank. If this is your best life, this is the best it's going to get for you. It's because you don't trust in Jesus Christ. Because when you trust in Jesus Christ, it's going to be far better. Think about the majestic God we have. That's why we sing the song. Maybe we're going to sing it again sometime. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom, authority. Flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus, the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings.
Lastly, I want to share with you about wonder, the wonderful nature that we see in his power that shows patience to us. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but it is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. His infinite patience works in the hearts and lives of my life and people all over the world. We referenced this several weeks ago when we were dealing with kindness of the Spirit of the Spirit. But Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Who can object to the kindness of God? The reality is a lot of people do. Several years ago in, in Dunwoody, Georgia, where we were living, uh, it became popular to put these little yard signs out that says, Be kind. It tells you a lot about our culture when people need to put that out in the front yard. You know, and so throughout the, the, all these neighborhoods, they were just having these little, you know, uh, little things, that, that just simple, be kind. And just like with any social media, no matter what you put out there, someone's going to start just wreaking havoc all over it. And people began to complain about all the signs about telling them to be kind. How can you tell me that? Why do I have to hear that? Blah, 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 blah. Isn't there an HOA that's going to ban these stinking signs? And I thought, proves the point why we ought to have them out there. People complain all the time, you know, about some kindness in the world and how sad that is. And here we are. We have a God who comes and, and you know, quite frankly, the, at least within the United States, we're reminded every year of the kindness of God in Christmas. That he sent out of his own benevolence. He sent a, a savior who did not come uh, that said, oh, watch me. He comes to a lowly stable. He, he comes and lives a life and he takes all the beatings and, and all of the, 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 the rejection. Even his own friends rejected him. He died on the cross. His kindness is exploding on the scene. And what did they say at the end of his life? Crucify him. What do people say today? Who cares about Jesus? Let's quiet those Christians. Let's, let's move on past all of this. I'm thinking, is it because they don't understand the kindness of God or the church has not been very kind? Maybe both. But it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So might we remind people in this season of the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to judge what is accurate and right and, and wrong. But he said, you can't save yourself. So therefore, I'm drawing you to myself out of my kindness. I say, just trust me. Perhaps this Christmas, would you remind somebody of how kind God is to love them in spite of their life? His wonderful power that shows his patience power and patience forgives every sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. His power and patience gives us wisdom and wonderful counsel to live this life as we continue to learn and grow as we face each new day. His power and his patience gives us a wonderful gift called eternal life. As we conclude today, I just wonder once again the question I had for you earlier. Do you see the wonderful Jesus that's been given to us? Do you see how wonderful he really is? Do you embrace the wonder of a relationship with the one who's kind enough to come incarnate to be with you so that you would be with him for eternity? 
this wonderful Savior is completely God and perfectly man. And he wants the very life that he has to have be your life. I came, he tells us in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let Christmas, or let me say more specifically, let Christ of this Christmas be wonderful to you.